Turn with me again to the Gospel of Mark. Come to chapter 14 this morning. We'll read verses 1 through 11. just a couple of days here leading up to Jesus' uh, crucifixion, uh, where we are in the Gospel of Mark. Verse 1, this is God's holy infallible word. Now the Passover and unleavened bread were two days away, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to seize him by stealth and kill him. For they were saying, not during the festival, otherwise there may be a riot of the people. While he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster jar of of alabaster vial, a very costly perfume of pure nard. And she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? This perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. They were scolding her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will, will also be spoken of in, her, in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. They were glad when they heard this and promised to give him money. And they began seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. We'll end our reading there this morning. I came across an article a while back that uh, described a number of uh, the the strangest, uh, most surprising things that have sold on eBay over the years. And... Uh, At the top of the list was the infamous Virgin Mary grilled cheese uh, that that, uh, a lady in Florida cooked up and then saved for 10 years and then sold on eBay for $28,000. You probably saw that in the news years ago. Uh, William Shatner also once sold one of his kidney stones uh, for $25,000, gave it to Habitat for Humanity. there was the half the, the French toast half eaten by Justin Timberlake that sold for twelve hundred dollars. That seems like maybe a bargain. Um, the article also listed some things that were listed on eBay but but didn't sell. There was a slightly used sole and a ghost in a jar. Uh, apparently, there's not much of a market for those things. Um, sometimes we're we're shocked at what other people value and how they would. Price things, but we all value certain things, of course, and we act on those values. Um, value or price can come and go and change, and it varies from person to person for many things, and it's subjective in many cases, and that's that's okay. But the most important question is, what is of eternal value, right? What is of objective, ultimate value? In our text here this morning, there's an example of one who greatly valued Jesus, and then others who valued him very little or, or not at all. And it's, it's only from God's word that we can know what's of the greatest value, the, the person, the life, the death of our Lord Jesus. 
uh, our Savior. And so I want you to think this morning about whether and how uh, you value what is of greatest value. Uh, and, and what does your life show that you value most? Just a few notes about this uh, account and the setting of it uh, first. Um, all four of the Gospels have a, an, an anointing by a woman of, of sorts, of, of Jesus. Um, Luke's account, they're, they're, and they seem to be two different events. So Luke's, Luke's account is the different one. Uh, it's much earlier uh, in Jesus' ministry. It's in a different place. Um, the woman is called a woman of the city, a sinner, which is euphemistic for a, a prostitute. And she's the one who came and um, wiped Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears. So there are tears and not oil in, in that case, although there are some, you know, some similarities, obviously, and, and people were scandalized in that case uh, as well. Um, Matthew's account of, of this anointing is virtually identical, almost word for word in, in Mark's. It's, it's clearly the same one. Um, John has this account too, but, but uh, and many of the details are the same. They're in Bethany um, just before Jesus' crucifixion. He seems to be going back and forth from Bethany. Um, the perfume is described the same, the, the same amount, 300 denarii and, and some other things. But there are some notable um, differences or additions as well in John's account. So John tells us that Jesus was eating with, with Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. Um, here in Mark, again, he says Jesus was at the house of Simon the leper. So it's not a contradiction. Um, it's, it's evidently Simon's house. He was, he was evidently a former leper, or they wouldn't have been with him at his house. Um, we don't know the relation between him and Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Some have suggested Simon is their father. Um, that, that could be, but, but we simply don't know. Um, and John also then makes it clear that, that the woman who anoints Jesus, who's unnamed in Mark, is Mary. Mary, the, the sister of Lazarus and Martha. And he describes her pouring the perfume on his feet. Again, not a contradiction, but evidently she poured it over his whole body, his head down to his feet. Um, and also another issue to touch on relative to this account and, and the history of the church um, it was really Pope Gregory the Great during the time of the Reformation. Uh, Pope Gregory gave a, a homily in which he sort of solidified this idea that had been swirling around for centuries about this, um, that, that conflates, uh, without any biblical evidence, conflates uh, Mary, uh, the Mary of this account, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, uh, the prostitute of Luke 7, that account, and Mary Magdalene. Uh, it conflated them all as, as one person. Um, and that's, that's what's given rise to the belief that Mary Magdalene was a, was a prostitute, was a converted prostitute. So uh, that, that's still believed by many people today, especially in the Roman Catholic Church, even though um, they, the Catholic Church quietly rescinded that years ago, uh, what, what Pope Gregory had said. Um, it, it still comes up in pop culture though, the idea that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute uh, in, in Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code, that book. Um, she's a prostitute who eventually marries Jesus uh, in, that, in that story. Um, in Jesus Christ Superstar, the uh, ridiculous musical by Andrew Lloyd, Andrew Lloyd Webber, um, uh, she's a prostitute who's sort of deeply infatuated with, with Jesus, and they, they have a, a sort of thing in that 
in that musical. And so it's, it's that, that idea is still out there. But anyways, it, it should be clear from our Bibles that Mary Magdalene is not a prostitute, and this woman here in our, in our story is uh, neither Mary Magdalene uh, nor uh, a prostitute. So these are, these are three uh, clearly distinct um, people uh, in, in the scriptures. So Mary here in this account, Mary the sister of, of Lazarus and Martha, is held up as a, an extraordinary example of extravagant devotion uh, to Jesus, uh, of valuing Jesus, uh, of Jesus' high value. And it's an unlikely place for the Gospels to, an unlikely way for the Gospels to confirm right before his death the value of Jesus and his death. Uh, this isn't the way that we signal the value of something, right? If you want to pin really high value on something, um, you maybe get an expert or a celebrity to endorse it, right? Maybe some of you have seen recent uh, subway commercials and, and their new endorsements. Um, and, you know, you consider that mystery meats and wilty vegetables behind a sneeze guard aren't among the highest value uh, in our society. But when, when Tom Brady... <laughs> And Serena Williams and uh, Steph Curry is the other one, are holding a sandwich and talking about how good it is. Their sales and their stock go way up. Right? But in keeping with Jesus' kingdom and his humility and his upside-down ways, it's not a king or a celebrity rabbi or someone who pronounces Jesus' worth here, uh, but an, uh, in Mark's account, an unnamed woman who is, who is rebuked for her actions. And it's significant that she's a woman as well. So let's, let's consider what we can learn from this, this passage. The Gospels uh, in their stories over and over again prompt us uh, with the implicit question, how will you respond to Jesus? How do you respond to Jesus? And so I want to look at the four, four characters or four groups of characters in this story and simply see how they respond to Jesus um, in this most critical um, week of his life and his, his crucifixion. So first... Uh, the first category is simply, briefly, uh, open opposition. This is in the first two verses uh, in our account. Uh, Mark first noted after, just a couple days before, in terms of the timeline, after the temple cleansing, uh, that the Jewish leaders were looking for a way to destroy Jesus. Um, the Son of God sent to reconcile people to God, give eternal life, bring his gracious kingdom uh, he's, he's valued as worthless by, by these Jewish leaders, as, as worse than worthless. They're looking for a way to kill him. Uh, and, and Mark tells us the only reason they don't kill him immediately is they're afraid of the reaction. This Probably especially this week, this is Passover week in Jerusalem, and so they're, it, it's extra packed uh, with worshipers. Uh, Rome was especially uh, nervous in Passover week because there were so many extra people in the city and the the um, likelihood, the risk of something setting off some kind of a revolt or a riot was extra high uh, against Rome. And so the Jewish leaders are probably concerned that a, a public struggle over Jesus might, might lead to a severe crackdown from the Romans. But it's no secret. Um, there's no subtlety about their opposition. They hate and oppose Jesus. They, they value him like dirt. They're... Of course, countless examples of that in our society. Um, many examples with some kind of subtlety or, or misdirection, but but not always. Um, reminded of, of a few years back when, when 
Uh, example of this, Kathy Griffin was receiving a, an Emmy Award for one of her TV shows, and she stood up and said, a lot of people come up here and thank Jesus for this award. She said, I want you to know that no one has less to do with this award than Jesus. And she went on to say something toward Jesus I can't repeat up here. But sometimes it's very uh, in-your-face uh, and intentional. Well, that kind of opposition is clear here and in the Gospels, and, and the need for repentance is, is unambiguous. But we move on, uh, secondly, to a, a hypocritical discipleship, a hypocritical, selfish discipleship. And this is, this is Judas in this account, uh, in, in verses 10 and 11. Now, Judas appears to be a disciple, right? Uh, he left his home, he left his family and his friends. He's been following Jesus, learning from him, serving with him uh, these years. And yet he's planning this treachery against Jesus. Uh, how, did, how and why did Jesus get it to this point? Why is this his, his attitude? Uh, we don't know. We're not told in the Gospels. A lot of people have speculated about that. Some speculations are sort of sympathetic to Judas uh, somehow, um, and, and not appropriately, I think. Uh, but in the end, it's clear Judas did not love, did not value Jesus. Uh, even having been with him, uh, honored to, to serve with him in this way. Uh, he's using Jesus for his own advancement. John tells us he, that the price that he agreed to with, with the Jewish leaders was 30 pieces of silver. Jesus was valuable insofar as Judas could benefit uh, immediately and temporarily. I think there are many applications for us to think about um, still today with that. There are, there are whole branches of supposed Christianity built on using Jesus as a tool for personal advancement. Right? Turn on the TV any day and see preachers promising worldly victory and healing and success uh, through their twisted version of a Jesus who helps you get what you want and achieve your dreams. Right? Jesus' worth is what he can get for you or how he makes you feel. Uh, even among more faithful churches and believers, any of us can in different ways use Jesus rather than value him for who he is. Right? We do this when we come to him asking for things, for comfort, basing our, our contentment and our joy on those things rather than valuing his person and his promises. Uh, his sacrifice, re regardless of what circumstances he's allowed in our lives for, for his perfect uh, and wise plan. We do this when we speak of our, our prayers being answered, our, our lives being blessed, when, when what we mean is simply that we, what we got what we wanted. Right? We tend to use that language of uh, God blessed me, meaning I got what I wanted. Right? Uh, Judas also teaches us it's possible to be to be close to Jesus in a sense, to know his teaching, to know his people, uh, to be serving in his church, even even be in a position of leadership, and, and to be a hypocrite, right? To be serving yourself, your own desires, or or some uh, secret sin that you're harboring, to be trading Jesus for some secret evil in your life, and and so it's a warning if. If there is some part of your life at, at work or against your marriage or in your finances or on the computer or anything in your life where you're trading the lordship and the sacrificial death of Jesus uh, 
for your own pleasure or benefit, Judah's story is a warning to us. There's, there's nothing you can betray Jesus for, if you will, that, that is remotely worth what you get in return. Again, Judas' return was 30 pieces of silver. That, was, that would have been a ton of, of money from, from one perspective. And yet, from an eternal perspective, it was utterly worthless to Judas. It's utterly worthless. He quickly came to that conclusion and hung himself. Remember, the Gospels tell us. It's worthless to him uh, now, suffering God's wrath for stomping on the Son of God. This is really what Hebrews 10 uh, warns about. Warns, Hebrews 10 warns particularly those who have experienced the, the goodness of God. Not, not those who have never heard the Gospel, but those who know the Gospel. Who experience the grace of Jesus, in a sense, in the church, in his blessings and benefits. And know these things and have, have rejected it. The, the writer says, how much worse... Punishment, do you think, will be deserved by the one who has experienced that, but who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. It concludes, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Again, particularly for those like Judas who were uh, near to Jesus, in a sense, uh, in the church. Well, another, uh, another um, category here, thirdly, I'm calling moderate discipleship. Moderate discipleship. And, and just think for a minute about the people uh, in the house who are observing uh, what Mary did that day. Uh, we don't know who exactly they are. Um, since it's in a, a house, it would have been a very small house probably by our standard. It's probably not a very large group. Judas was there, we know at least, so it may just have been the 12 disciples and, and Lazarus and, and Mary and Martha. Um, it wouldn't have been the first time Je- the, uh, the, the disciples objected to something that Jesus then praised. Remember the parents bring their children to Jesus, for example. Um, whoever they are, they're there with Jesus. This group of people is not, it seems, outwardly rejecting Jesus or or secretly betraying him besides Judas, like Judas. Uh, they are accepting Jesus. They're, they're there um, listening to him, presumably happy to be associated with him. Uh, but when Mary performs her act of devotion here, they're indignant. Right? They, they publicly scold her. Um, what, what caused this reaction? Well, verse 3 tells us about this this little vial, this little uh, little clay jar, tiny clay jar it would have been, of, of pure nard. This is a, a rare uh, aromatic oil from the root of an herb, the root of an Indian herb. Um, it's also called spike nard. You can buy it today as an essential oil of spike nard. Um, verse 5, they, they remark that it's worth over 300 denarii. Uh, a denarius again is a, a day's wages, so over 300. This is a this is a year's pay. This is a year's salary. Um, the the median income in the state of Colorado, not the mean, but the median this year is 73,000. Um, so just imagine a little bottle of essential oils worth 70,000 dollars. Maybe give us some idea in our society of what what Mary did and what she spent. Um, it wouldn't have been particularly unusual to use a little bit of something like this to honor a famous rabbi or someone that you wanted to show great honor to. Just a little, a little dab, a little drop um, of this sweet-smelling uh, stuff for an important guest. 
But what did Mary do? She breaks the jar and dumps the whole thing on Jesus. The disciples have never seen anything like this. And they, they see it as a total waste. Right? It, that's evident in their suggestion. They, they essentially say, Mary, if you were just going to dump it, if you were just going to waste it all, we, we could have... We could have used it, sold it, and done something useful with it. The fact is, of course, Mary valued Jesus in the extreme. Perhaps in in a way that no one else that we've met in the gospel so far has valued Jesus. Others at that house, evidently because they were there, placed some value on Jesus, but not that much. Right? This is ridiculous. $70,000? And and so I suggested that they represent, over against Mary's example, discipleship in in moderation. Uh, James Edwards, the commentator, comments that, that the world has never had a problem with religion in moderation. Right? And and our world is is the same. Your religion is okay as long as it doesn't impose itself on through you on others at your workplace or in the public square or in politics or in discussing education or whatever it might be. As long as it stays home and is tame and just teaches you to be nice, that's fine. I was talking a few years ago to a, a the parent of a student at the Christian school that Owen went to in Florida. And I was asking him why they sent their kids to this school. What did they, what did they appreciate about this school? And he, he said something about the academics and then he said, and they also get a little religion, but not too much, he said. And that, that sort of worked against commending the school to me. Um, a, a devotion to God in every aspect and moment of life is seen by many people as fanatical, right? Uh, over the top, extreme. Something that, uh, a devotion to God that would drive your, your work and your parenting and your, your view of marriage, your use of time and, and politics and everything that, that doesn't allow you just to go with the flow of, of the culture, that makes you an extremist, right? That, that's ridiculous. Well, there are people in, in churches like ours, like, like any, like those in that house that day with Jesus who are so happy to be associated with Jesus who knew him, who listened to his teaching in some way, who were, who were not in any kind of open opposition to Jesus, but they hadn't given their lives over to him. Right? They, they hadn't heard or responded to Jesus' challenge in Luke 14. Anyone who does not give all that he has cannot be my disciple. Right? Give his whole life. Jesus occupies some segment of their life, but he doesn't, doesn't rule or redeem every part of life. Could that describe any of you this morning? Well, let's look then, fourthly and finally, at at Mary's example. Unsparing devotion. Unsparing devotion. Mark doesn't downplay the extravagance of her gift. Here in verse 3, he describes it as very costly. Uh, That's very superlative language in the Greek. Jesus uses that, that same language in Mark 13 in his parable where he talks about a par- the, the person who found a pearl of great price or very costly who went and sold everything he had to get that to get that that pearl um, we might sympathize with the the observers of what Mary did a little bit at least I I could think that I might have if I was there 
Um, I mean, what would we think if someone gave an irretrievable gift worth $70,000 to someone that was going to their death in a couple of days? Which is what she did. I mean, I'd probably think, you know, you could have shown extraordinary love in a meaningful way for $100. You know, $1,000 would have been incredible. You could do a lot with that for someone. Think what we could do with the rest. They valued this as a waste. And Jesus in verse 9 says, though, that it was so valuable what she did that, that it would pay dividends through all of human history, wherever the gospel is preached. He also he said, of course, you will always have the poor with you. This is not downplaying the goodness of caring for the poor, helping the poor. The Bible's full of concern for the poor. That issue here is the attitude of Mary versus the attitude of those who are observing and their valuing of Jesus. Her value of Jesus over against their probably real but, but limited, modest value of Jesus. Specifically, Jesus says at the end of verse 7, You do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. And that prompts the question, did Mary really understand that, that Jesus was going to die? And, and, and what that meant, what the significance of it was. Most people argue, no, she really couldn't have at least not, not fully by any means, but you know, no one in the gospel gets it at this point. Even the disciples have been with Jesus learning from him every day. Every time Jesus brings up his suffering and his death, they, they, they don't get it. They respond in some idiotic way that, that proves that they don't get it. But some argue, yes, Mary must have understood. We know that Mary was a listener to Jesus. Right? What, why, what, what else do we know of, of Mary? I mean, she's probably most known for the account of sitting at the feet of Jesus when he was visiting their house previously. Right? And Martha was serving in the kitchen, frustrated with Mary, but Jesus said that Mary had chosen the, one good, the, the good thing, right? the good portion, the one thing necessary. Right? So Jesus, Mary was one that had been sitting at the feet of Jesus, uh, Jesus, we know, has been predicting that his enemies are going to kill him. He's been telling his disciples that repeatedly. It's not a stretch to think that he, he taught that elsewhere to someone like Mary as she sat at his feet and, and that she believed him and, and perhaps thought that this was her last chance to show him a great kindness before he died. She would have known that, that the, the custom of the day was that someone who died as a criminal would not be given the, the ordinary niceties like anointing before, before death and so on. Uh, it's hard to see also how she could value him so far above anyone else we see in the Gospels and in a way that pertains specifically to his death, right before his death, without valuing that death and even perhaps understanding something of the reason of it. And so she's an example for you. What she did for Jesus because he was so valuable and lovely to her is, is just a faint reflection of the infinite cost and value of Jesus' devotion to you. Uh, you, you love him because he's so worthy 
so lovely, so of inestimable value and benefit to you. Uh, he loves you and is devoted to you because he loves you. Right? Not because you have any value in and of yourself to, to him as, as, as a sinner against God. Yet he gave himself to you. And so is, is Jesus precious to you? That's a challenge of this, this passage to us. Is he worthy of your total devotion? That you would, as the scriptures say, bring every thought captive to Christ. That you would do all things to the glory of God for the sake of Jesus. Uh, Peter points us to Jesus' value. In 1 Peter 1, he speaks of the precious blood of Christ. Why is it so precious? It, it earned eternal life for you. Right? It, doesn't, it doesn't remotely compare to 30 pieces of silver or 300 denarii. The precious blood of Christ cleaned you from everything wrong that you've ever thought or done or ever will do. It paid the price of your infinite debt. It, it, it took you from being an enemy of God to being a child of God. The blood of Jesus expresses the, the unbreakable covenant love of God for you. Uh, Paul points us to Jesus' value in his own testimony. In Philippians 3, he speaks of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord, by which he means there, there is nothing as valuable in the world. And he goes on to list things that he used to count as valuable. And he says, I count them as rubbish, as trash in comparison with knowing Christ. It's as if he took us from being a toddler, mindlessly playing in the toilet or playing in the dirt to, to understand what's, what's true and beautiful and good. Just a, a final lesson and application from this account is that there is no such thing as moderate discipleship. Right? There's no such thing as living for Christ in, in moderation. Mary didn't just, again, didn't just do a dab of oil, which would have been extraordinarily honoring. She didn't just pour the oil out, she broke the jar. Dumped everything out. There's no going back, no reusing it. That pictures her, her total devotion. Jesus' salvation and lordship touches every last minuscule piece of your lives and my life and our thinking. Vocation. The idea of vocation touches every area of your life. Every responsibility that you have in life is a calling of Jesus on your life. To give, to him, to give yourself to Him because of who He is to you. So there's no such thing as extreme devotion to Jesus or loving or worshiping Him too much. Uh, Mary did all that she could to Jesus with, with what she had, with the opportunity she had this, this day or two before His death. Uh, do you value Jesus? How are you using every gift and opportunity Jesus has given to give yourself in devotion to Him? Just leave you with this, this challenge in thought. Imagine someone is given a reality TV show like access to, to observe your life 24-7. You know, watching someone that constantly and intimately easily reveals what they value. What would that kind of observation show that you value? How does the Lord Jesus who gave himself for you, has given you a future and everything, adoption with God Himself, how, how would He see uh, your value of Him?
So may we live like those who are given the greatest gift imaginable in Jesus himself. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we uh, thank you this morning for your good and perfect word. It gives uh, light to our paths. and um, We pray that you would uh, encourage us and challenge us in what we've considered of this account of extravagant devotion to you. Let us live in a way that reflects Mary's example, but more than that, that reflects the example of the Lord Jesus and his giving himself to us. And pray this in his name. Amen.